0: Welcome to the Stories Our Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books, the kids' fiction imprint of Cannon Press.
1: What are we talking about, Brian? Welcome, everybody, welcome, welcome back. Here we are at SASF uh, number 332. <clears throat> or divided, something divided by eight divided by eight or something <laughs> i
0: think what we're talking about this I mean, doesn't I,
1: feel like this is this it's funny when we podcast it, i really should just be writing right now i should be at my desk writing i should not be doing this let's just say it. let's get at, let's get that on the record <laughs> <laughs> i should not be podcasting this does not feel and yet this comes with guilt sitting here talking about <laughs> stories comes with guilt
0: You know, the best things in life come with guilt. (laughs)
1: guilt. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like something Luther would say. Yeah, Um, exactly. It's very monkish. Like, uh, I'm just scrolling through the pages I have to cover today. Yeah. So, the the things I have to hit. Instead, I'm sitting here and we're going to talk about stories. Right. Absolutely. So, uh, I mean, it's great. This, this, This particular conversation comes with all the joy of procrastination. Yeah. It's like I'm not working. I'm slacking off and podcasting instead of working. Yeah. Let's cast a pod, Brian. Let's let's, let's let's do it. Do it like we're fishing instead of uh fixing some asphalt or something like that. I've just, I've got
0: a warm up
1: for you from from Abigail. Do we have a main topic for the day?
0: Uh the main topic for the day, I I we've got two. Okay, good. It's, but we're starting with a warm
1: up. Right, absolutely. This is just okay. a quick one. Okay.
0: Abigail, one of your eager readers wishes to know if the jet squid from Ashtown are real.
1: Oh, man. I sh- I sure hope so. I think they're amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The squid in Ashtown that that bubble out oxygen, I think they're fantastic. They make me so very happy. <laughs> <laughs> they should be. Yeah. They might be. Well, I mean. Jet- I refuse to say that they
0: aren't. I mean, squid do use jet propulsion. Yeah. I will also, um, I will say that they've not yet been discovered. Also, we don't know what the squid in, all, in the
1: Cambrian Explosion All those ones? We don't know what all the squid we currently know about do. Right. There's a lot of squid in the world. We Uh, don't know if you grabbed a little squid and slapped it on your face and let it hang on tight and stuck that beak in your mouth. We don't know if it would burp oxygen into your mouth and enable you to dive nice and deep.
0: Apparently, the majority of God's created squid fossils are fossils. So, it's tough to slap a fossil on your face. Yes.
1: And test it out. Yeah. So, maybe, just maybe. (laughs) There's one out there that if you found it and you looked at it and you thought, I wonder if I part these little tentacles and stick this beak in my mouth and put it on top of your tongue. Make sure it doesn't rip your tongue out per the Ashton warnings and let it hang on tight and then I can dive and swim underwater and get all this oxygen that I need. Um, No, it's as far as I know, I'm riffing and modifying natural reality for that one, which is what I love to do. I love to take things that – well, actually, backing up, back 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 I'll beep like a truck and back up and say the fact of this question makes me very happy cuz I love these squid and I like to write my stories in this world and I like to write them in a way that makes people think that could be real and it could be so these animals could be real the the jet squid I do not know that those are real but I know that jaculus vipers are real that's for example historically attested Yeah, the multiple historical witnesses to the fact that the jackalus vipers are in fact a reality were a reality at least. So I like to take things from the natural world and riff on them. I know that alligator snapping turtles could become quite giant. You know, like they can be big. Uh, Reptiles don't stop growing. And so I love the idea of, you know, plunking an alligator snapping turtle in the in the swamp of youth and the fountain of youth and having I mean, it just grow right indefinitely and becoming the size of a Volkswagen and being named Leon after Ponce de Leon, who of course found the Fountain of Youth. But here's the question.
0: Christy just finished reading Boys of Blur uh, okay. out loud to the fame. Yeah. Um, I had some very scared children who could not, <laughs> who could not turn away. Hurrah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you've got the Fountain of Youth popping up. In yep, that, the Swamp
1: of Youth. Yeah, the Swamp of, and that's not a very where, nice where was, place. Where was Ponce de Leon looking for the Fountain of Youth? Florida. Rida. Yeah, Flo Rida, otherwise known as Florida, otherwise known as Land of the Free currently. Yeah, so where are the fountains in Florida? Not many, lots of swamps. <laughs> right. So the idea of it being a Swamp of Youth. Yeah.
0: But my question is, in the timeline, I guess Leon would have had to discover, he would have had to spend some years in the, in the oh, fountain yeah. long in the past.
1: Oh, yes. Leon goes way back <laughs> with that swamp. Leon, I guess if it's a fountain of youth, Leon that's was not a, a problem. Leon wee, was a wee hatchling and lived in that swamp of youth for a long time, unbeknownst to him that he mm-hmm. was hanging out in the swamp of youth. Yeah. Leon, by the way, for those of you who don't know, is the giant, giant Volkswagen-sized alligator snapping turtle in the Ashdown burial series. Who mm-hmm. loves to eat cheese? Who one of my favorite parts. Oh, wait, this would
0: be a spoiler for those who haven't read Silent it's Bells. It's okay. Yeah, consumes the the head cheese of <laughs> babbed Katha and <in> an amazing, amazing <laughs> <Yeah>. moment.
1: Cheese, <laughs> <laughs> Leon. Cheese. Even yeah. Leon didn't like it though. Didn't agree with him. Well, yeah. So alligator snapping turtles also have a big worm, a fake worm in the back of their throats that they love to gape their mouths and wriggle wriggle this fake worm to try to get fish to swim in to eat it. You know, just one of those things that they decided over millions of years would be really useful. And so they sprouted it (laughs)
0: right (laughs) sarcasm hashtag sarcasm makes more sense than the alternative (laughs) that someone with an imagination
1: made it so anyway the point is i really like writing my fantasy right next to the real world and there's sometimes it's really fun to like take big flights of fantasy so like the ragged you know basset hound sized rhino with wings but i also really like taking creatures especially in Ashtown, where i'm using historical characters Modifying them, characters from mythology, and making them realer. But taking animals, creatures that are real and putting them in there and having real animals, have have people believe them to be fantastical, and having fantastical animals be believed to be real and writing them in such a way that it's close. The dragonflies are the actual size of fossilized dragonflies. The squid, there there could be squid doing this, but I, I did in fact... Make it up, but the Jaculus vipers are from ancient historians. Yeah. I mean, um, well, plants produce
0: oxygen. Yeah.
1: So it's yeah. Not, that's not outside. But if you do find a little squid and you look at its beak and you see the little red dot on that beak, don't put it in your mouth. That's the official disclaimer from the story. Red of Soul means food podcast. dead. <laughs> red means dead, as any Ashtown reader knows. So if you're going to let a squid slurp onto your face and have its tentacles hang onto the back of your head and you're going to try to go diving with it on there, just make sure it doesn't have a red dot on that beak first. Right.
0: I, I really like that you have co-opted one of the, the nasty symbols of alien yeah. into being a friendly symbol of underwater yep. exploration. Yes. So if you've seen the face suckers from yeah, you know, the alien franchise. Um they, did, lay, was that, they lay an egg down your throat. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. Um birth baby aliens out of you. Was that intentional? Did you want to yeah. mess with a trope of sci fi like that? I did. Yeah. Yep. I did.
1: I just will, for fun. I will admit it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you just wanted to poke um, Ridley Scott in the eye. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's I respect I respected that creativity from the Alien franchise more than any other aspect of that franchise as particularly terrifying. And so I like the idea of having to face it, but not flee it. So having to face something that's stressful. So when you're scuba certified, which I became for the Rat and the Dance films, there's different things they do to put you under Stress, and so you're you're down deep and things, and you know, an instructor comes by and rips your mask off, and you're just down there, and you have to get your mask back on and then clear it, like get it, it's full of water now. And you have to successfully clear it. You have to do all sorts of different things. And there's a lot more stressful things than that, but there's there's a there's a kind of claustrophobia that that can be created in different aspects of training mm-hmm. that you have to just learn to calm down. So. Mm remain calm remain calm keep your heart rate slow breathe slowly don't start panting you'll rip through your oxygen tank you like you have to like breathe really slowly keep your movements slow like don't panic or you'll die <laughs> like, it's <Yeah>. just <laughs> so when you're down deep you're really diving deep you cannot freak out you just can't and there's a lot of different aspects of that when it comes to exploration and and diving is especially that way and I will say, as a side note, that there is nothing. I've never felt anything like the pressure of deep water. So mm-hmm. when you're down deep and the ocean is pressurizing you, and you're down at 120, you know you're down. Getting past that and going deeper and and hanging—that's probably the deepest I've been—is in that 120, 150 range, maybe 160. But the pressure you feel is is so awesome. Yeah, yeah, you know, just this otherworldly almost yeah and it the intensity of it that's all on and you really could just decide to freak out but i find it incredibly soothing like it's very this this calming pressure that you're just going to move very slowly and breathe very slowly and yeah it's like I being love, swaddled again <laughs> yeah i love watching your air bubbles flatten you know it's like as you exhale your your breath can't form a bubble you know it comes out and flattens wow Uh, In the pressure, and then turns into this little like jellyfish lid, and it just waddles slowly. And I tell you never to rise faster than your bubbles, you know, to avoid the bends. Mm. And you think, well, that's easy. You know, bubbles go quick. And you're down there, and you watch your bubbles, and they just fight to rise. It's like (laughs) they do not rise quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Those bubbles (laughs) just. But I wanted to capture, like, basically the freedom that comes from self control, the freedom that can come from. The ability to calm yourself and face your fears and and actually be still, like to still yourself and to quiet yourself. And so I took something that would be a, a symbol of the ultimate creep. Yeah. Like something that could be very terrifying and would just would be extremely claustrophobic. Like I'm going to get underwater. What should I do? I'm going to cover my mouth and nose with something that's going to stress me out. Mm. Like it's going to be stressful. I'm not just holding my breath. I have to trust a thing. I have to let something slimy grab onto my face. I'm gonna have a squid beak in my mouth, and I have to breathe on its rhythm. I just have to wait and receive oxygen whenever it delivers its oxygen, and I just have to be it like be calm, be chill, like mm-hmm. be at peace. So, I wanted to have my character Cyrus and I take, and you have to get through that. Nice, like get through that claustrophobia and that stress and that creep factor. To get to the freedom that comes from really the intense ability to control oneself, like to calm oneself, to still oneself and to still your reactions, you know, to not just be reactive and emotional. So that was the ultimate hurdle for me. It was like, what? (laughs) It's a great, it's a great creepy obstacle with the jet squid. Yeah. Okay.
0: That's, that's really interesting. You're making me want to dig deeper on this. Cause we just, I just had the freshman read Annie Dillard Yeah, and she talks about, one the famous hermit, Julian of Norwich, yeah. who walled herself in yep. and then lived through a brick with her cat, I think, for yeah. her whole life. Not spiritual if you have a cat, by the way.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a sign of it should have been a dog. <laughs> should have been shows, a dog. Well, it just shows a kind of demonism, I think. <laughs> so so <laughs> A demonism and B. If it was a dog, it's just torture. Like, why are you torturing your dog? <laughs> like, stop it,
0: stop it. <laughs> so that's stop my, being a spaz. That's my question. Why is what you know? I I love hearing you talk about that. You know, facing the fear, get that intense self control. Yeah. Wouldn't an ascetic living on a pole say the same thing? Some guy who sits on a pole for thirty years. Yeah,
1: and I think that there's a degree to which that ascetic knows more about controlling himself than any of us do. Right. You know. But that ascetic also knows a lot less about being a good human. Right. <laughs> so it's how many uh, a uh, good sibling, a right. good spouse, a how good child. How many good, when
0: you take that vow of silence, you wall right. off for yourself what James describes as yeah. the, the most powerful thing. So I'm, I'm not going to be a part of
1: the body. I'm, I'm just going to
0: suck over here. But right. yeah, he'll know a lot about self-control. Is that the ultimate burying the talent? I mean, it feels like it. It's sure pretty...
1: It, I mean, I mean, if somebody said, I'm going to take a vow of eating 37 hot dogs a day for the rest of my life, they would also know a lot about self-control. Ooh, <laughs> that's rough. <laughs> I mean, right? And we would all say, you're a moron. Like, don't do that. And I feel the same way about people who sat on poles for 30 years. <laughs> like, It's yeah. just it's just faux virtue. Mm. But yeah, that it is true that somebody who stood up in a cave or sat on a pole mm. does, in fact, know more about self-discipline and determination and self-control than I do. Yeah. But they also know a great deal less about all the other aspects of humanity. Yeah. So I'll take the trade off.
0: Can reading and writing help us with that self-discipline then? Or I guess that's what you're saying is that we can experience that that fa- facing a fear. Yeah. That's what you try to get your characters to do yep. for someone
1: reading. Yep, exactly. And so having somebody reading vicariously have to think through and experience these character choices where you can chicken out and bail and just lose do you want to lose now or are you going to like actually like calm down relax your throat like stop freaking out like get through it
0: yeah when um, uh char when charlie gets trapped by the truck underwater yeah. there's
1: one of those moments yep exactly in boys of blur that's exactly right yeah like, like okay like chill out right get, get through and that time, I think he actually lost.
0: You have, a, you have yep. he, he had to get helped. He yep, to get exactly. He out. fails. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because he has several of those moments where he's like, well, you're technically dead. Yeah. <laughs> and it's Oops. like a, you're not dead yet sort of moment. Yeah. There's a try, try again. <laughs> right. In, uh, in Charlie's arc. Well, the, the main topic for today is, is again from Abigail. She noticed that we never did a, a door before episode. Well done, Abigail. And she said, are you going to do one? And, so, we're talking about door before today. And I think we do need to okay. zip into door before. We've given it a nice long time in between the Circling other ones. Circling back
1: and to I, the door I, before.
0: And I have questions for you about what happens when you connect your two universes like that so overtly. Okay. Um, yeah. But
1: that's more from the
0: authorial perspective. Then let's, let's
1: ask those questions. And should we start by introducing the book? Yeah. So The, the door before. Yeah. Why don't you talk about when you did it? I don't had... remember when I did it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but. Okay. But, uh, well, I remember in the chronology of books, I don't remember what year it was. Before COVID, in the before times, as uh, CNN BC. Would say, <laughs> but BT, in the before times, I had written the Cupboards trilogy and I had written Ashtown, Dragon's Tooth, Drowned Vault, and Empire of Bones. And I had written Boys of Blur. Uh, Lee Pike Ridge was the first book, so it had happened as well. I was. Exiting, I had sold. We talked about this a little bit. I'd sold Outlaws of Time to Random House, that my editor had retired. New editor didn't like snakes. I'd exited Random House without loss of time and set it up at HarperCollins. So that transition had begun. Random House really wanted another coverage novel, but simultaneously wanted to shut down my Ashdown series. So mm. there, was this, there was this tension that we had where it's like they were done with Ashtown, this series that my previous editor and I had been working on, you know, grinding on. And the reason why they said it was too morbid, too dark. I yeah. disagree.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, is it? Um, a, did they try to even cover that with a business decision or was it an editorial decision? Is it like, hey, we are
1: we don't think we want, is it- Too is, is morbid, it? too dark. They wanted me working on uh, going in a more like lighthearted, farcical direction, uh, which, yes. I, which I never did. And they is a big word, but you know, it's like it was, there were discussions. But there was not, it was not a business decision. The first book earned out its advance. It was highly, yeah. I mean, it was critically acclaimed, featured on NPR, exploded. You know, it's like it's. Right. It's a big it's, book. Yeah. It was, it was not a, it was not a failure. However, there were, there was chaos in the design and the covers. You know, anybody who knows the series knows that, may know that the books were released with different formats. The the first book released with a, an unfinished cover. When book two released, there's supposed to be big Target placements. Target was excited. They're supposed to take book one into Target. They accidentally shipped book two. They received all book twos into Target instead of book one. I had to return 100% of those. You know, It's like weird book tour things, all sorts of chaos. The end result was they canceled all publicity for book three. Uh, all marketing publicity and said we think this is a good place to stop at this one um, right mm. before the right before the book came out they let me know hey we've decided not to promote this book or even try mm-hmm. and we think it's a great ending <laughs> but before <laughs> Ashdown fans literally just gave yeah. a cry of <laughs> but before that they'd also asked me if I could do it in four instead of five books and I'd done a big old re- remap and shift. And so I was already planning to go down to four and it that not been easy. And so there's stuff in Empire Bones that was gonna be in a book four in Silent Bells. And mm-hmm. and I re-jiggered, rejiggered it into a quartet instead of a quintet. And so then as three was about to release, the news came of like, hey, we're not actually gonna, we kind of pooched this one basically. But they didn't say that, they just said, it's not working, your editor's retired. He was the one fighting for him, he was my big advocate. Um, in the company, and he was leaving, so it was kind of like it's easier if we just stop. Like there was enough, and it was honestly, it was a comedy of errors around the releases of the Ashton books. Hmm. So, uh, as one example, when uh, NPR featured featured the Dragon's Tooth, it sold out nationwide, and uh, but sold out nationwide right at the beginning. I want to say uh, sure. I should fact check this, but I can't because I'm I'm sitting here in a microphone right now. But it sold out nationwide right at the beginning of November. Mm. Early November. So that's a terrible time to be out of books. Out of books. You're losing completely. so
0: many sales. Just gone. So and it's not like you can get away stock quick. We had something
1: like 9 million <clears throat> listeners to this show. The book sold out nationally. And then as we approached Thanksgiving, actually, it was, it was a little later in November. It's even worse because I'm sitting in a hotel room and I watch. I watch the book go up to number thirty two on Amazon overall. And then I watch it, which is not a small thing. Yeah, it's big stuff. And then I watch it flip over to ships in eight to ten weeks. And wow. And so like, death sentence for Christmas presents. Yeah. And it's like, oh, here we are. It's the end of November and everybody's everybody's now getting a notice from the biggest retailer. We'll ship at the end of January. And I call my editor and he's making noise. They look around and it turns out that that time they just said there's, we can't successfully get more in print in time. And also the, basically the book did much better than they had anticipated. It launched, they weren't ready. It was supposed to be a big launch. They were supposed to be my, well, backing up the publisher who'd signed it had retired first. She had signed it to directly compete with Percy Jackson she had told me that she wanted to go head-to-head with Percy Jackson. That was her plan. So it came out. We did this big thing. Here goes this massive promotional moment. The book sells out, and then it goes, you know, like Mm. massive promotional thing drops. No stores have it anywhere. Like literally that first radio listen, like just gone. Reviews go off the charts. The producer of Men in Black calls, and along with like the producer of, I mean, so many people called. It was it was the first time I had like a legit, really hot property in Hollywood. You know, I'd had a lot of conversations. There'd been a lot of interest in cupboards, but this was like swarming mm-hmm. fish. Like I just thrown bread in a goldfish pond. Mm-hmm. After it just went psycho, the producers who were calling was, I mean, they were every every big name, like literally every big name was calling. And... All of them are wanting not to option, but to acquire. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Like let's, which anybody who knows the industry know that's a big deal. Like let's actually just let's go make this thing. So everything was hot, and then it was like, what happened to the sales? Like you were thirty in the world, you're number thirty in the world, Mm. and then why are you three thousand today? And then why are you thirty thousand tomorrow? You know, it's like it's like well, because the books are out of stock and you can't receive it anywhere. And it's gone. So that was like kind of the first big comedy of errors. They told us that Amazon could not receive. They did not have an available loading dock. They did not have an available loading dock to receive a shipment before Christmas. Like everything, everything's like at that time of the year, everything was booked out. So incredibly solid. You know, the economy is humming so tight. You know, it's like when, like when you're out, you're out. At that point, you're not going to be able to rush a restock, or they couldn't get new stuff in print. So anyway, that was like book one. Book two, they're like, okay, let's try, try again. We need to push, we need to push book one again and try to get the same excitement going after we accidentally killed it right at Christmas. And then they poached that release, and we're shipping the wrong books to retailers, and it was the cover was awesome. You yeah, know, love the cover of John Vault. The cover of the first one had really struggled. The cover of the second one was amazing. You know, it ended. Then the cover of three, by the time three was coming out, they were like, you know what? The publisher who'd bought it wanted to go after Percy Jackson was gone. My editor retired and they let me know they didn't want it to be a quintet. We do a quartet? And then they let me know, you know what? Let's just shut it down here. And they said, but oh, we, and they gave me back outlaws of time. Like the new, the new team gave me back outlaws of time and wanted to shut down Ashdown, which is funny. Any Any aspiring writers, like you listen to that, like, okay biggest piece of, honestly the biggest piece of media you can get in book publishing is that all things considered spot you know that NPR spot because you're talking about readers like mm-hmm. you know right people who actually really like to buy books and buy physical books although I will say the uh Starbucks pick of the week was pretty fantastic for hello Ninja too yeah <laughs> although um they don't do that anymore I don't think no they stopped yeah but uh that was first awesome. ever you have the first ever one <laughs> for a book is that the first first ever ebook Pick yeah. of the week nice job well we we uh we came off the top. we made that one count <laughs> yeah um but uh so anyway, at the end of that, I all the dust settled on the contracts, and I'm leaving Random house, and all these things are happening, and I've got in all the exits, I had one open volume that I owed Random House, and they wanted uh cupboard's sequel, and I wanted to finish Ashdown mm-hmm. and we were at an impasse and So I said, well, they weren't gonna let me finish Ashdown. Like it was not gonna happen. And I was not gonna write a covered sequel, but they had paid me money in advance for a book. And that book was gonna be Ashdown. It was gonna be the next Ashdown volume. And they were not gonna receive it. (laughs) It's like they were they were like, not gonna be that anymore. So I could have just walked and soured the whole thing and just been done but i i did have this prequel that i'd always really wanted to write and had always been part of the plan which was this bridge book between the two series so my plan had been finish the ashtown series and then bridge the two series and so i said well what if i read a prequel to coverage then they said great as long as it's a coverage book i did not tell them that it was also a prequel to ashtown <laughs> <laughs> So secrets, secrets revealed. Yeah. So, and this, this is actually really funny because I, I didn't tell them that it was a, it was a bridge book between the two series. I didn't tell them that had always been the plan, but it was, I told them the truth. It was a a prequel to cupboards and they said, awesome, fantastic. And I got to work. And so I work on this origin story in California, you know, on the coast of California where I have this family, this family of Smiths, right? Mm -hmm. So the family of Smiths. Well, a lot of people have the last name Smith. (laughs) Right, tons of Smiths. (laughs) Now, tons of Smiths, origin, story, California. Okay, this is the backstory of the Smiths family, but the problem is it's also one of the siblings in this family is later going to become the mother of uh, Henry in the protagonist of the cover trilogy. So it's the it's the origin story of Henry's mom. She's actually kind of the lead here, and and we get to meet Henry's dad and his uncle Caleb as well in this as kids. So who are two favorites in the trilogy. So I I was really excited to always write this story because I knew fans would love meeting a young Mordecai and Caleb. Yeah, Um, especially in California with the Smiths. (laughs) Yeah. So, but the big the big bridge, and this is a spoiler, but not really, is establishing that the Smith family, the Smiths of Ashtown, and Henry York our cousins and there's this there's this cousin bridge um and connecting the connecting the family tree in this prequel Uh on the cliffs of california and so i write this story i love it and i'm all excited like okay see what they say (laughs) fired off crickets like i hear nothing i don't hear a word back and i was like well I tried. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, I guess I'm gonna self-publish this one or send it out to fans or whatever. Like I hear not a word. I do not get a response back. Now, in the interim, I've gone to HarperCollins and and everything's professional and friendly, but let's just say I'm not at anybody's wedding. Yeah. Whereas like <laughs> like before it was a very it was not just a professional relationship. I was flying out for weddings. I was there socially. I was mm-hmm. I was very active. Uh, in a different way uh, at Random House and in in New York and uh, at parties and so on, on the regular. And now I'm just sitting here just waiting to hear anything back. I hear zippity do, like months and months and months go by. And finally, I'm like, well, I'm gonna write and say, I assume I can take this anywhere I want now. Um, I get an email and it is, this looks great. Here are your copy edits. We're going to typesetting. They didn't even give me multiple drafts. <laughs> Basically, The Door Before is a first draft. Oh, wow. It's the only book I've ever published that's a first draft. And it still terrifies me. And I can't read it. I don't read any of my books, but I don't want to read it because I don't want to be, I just don't want to know. Because I I, it's every first draft, I've never published a book that was less than three drafts, three three heavy passes. Except, um, I thought you said Outlaws yeah. 3. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you're right. That's incorrect. Outlaws 3 was a little... But you did a lot of Outlast edits in that one, yeah. I remember you Out, saying. Yeah, Outlaws 3 was uh, Was not one draft. But Outlaws 3 was... Uh, Outlaws 3, I think I don't think of that way because it was so much suffering in writing. <laughs> it was so hard. And oh. that one was uh, such a long, like, crawling. I felt like I was crawling to the brick pile on the wall with every single brick. <laughs> Like laying those bricks very, very slowly and yeah. trimming every one of them, like okay, a, like a dying old man. So you did three drafts while you were writing. Yeah, I did. I did at least. Yeah, L three. <laughs> was 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 a very different process. That was that was when trying to finish it as I as I uh, was trying to figure out what the heck was wrong with my head and went right into brain surgery <laughs> right afterwards. <laughs> but uh, so this one was just like it's coming. Oh, and okay. Like, Ta-da. Yeah. And then we're rebranding. Also, hey, good news. We're pulling 100 cupboards from Target, which they'd sold it for years and years and years, and it had always sold a ton. And we're rebranding all the covers. So we're going to rejacket all the covers with the door before. And here's the rejackets. And I've told authors ever since then, don't get all precious about your covers. You're going to have covers you hate, and mm. those are the covers I hate. The current ones. Yeah. So they pulled. They pulled the covers I loved, the original, rejacketed. Shut the thing down. I mean, they shut down placements, pulled it all to to re release with the new jackets, and then came back and they're like, huh, Target doesn't want it back. I'm like, well, because it looks stupid now. <laughs> no. And I was like, you made 100, you took 100 covers, it looked awesome, and you made it look like an app game. Mm-hmm. It still sells well. So it's still clipping along. Looks like the but new so, L- LOTR trailer. <laughs> yeah. So, so Door Before was this. I really do love the story. I like the story a lot. And I would have, I think I know why they didn't give it to me for multiple drafts because they did not want it to be a giant, fat, whacking, great, big, huge novel. They really didn't. They wanted it the length that it is, and they knew that if I covered multiple drafts, it was going to grow not sh- there was no there was going to be no leaning. it was going to only expand. And I think when they saw that it actually was straddling the worlds, they knew that I would only be getting in more backstory, not not less mm-. So, it was kind of like, thank you. This will do. We want 60,000 words, 70,000 words. We do not want 110. Mm-hmm. They didn't want an Ashdown novel length. They wanted something that was more accessible in the middle grade and kind of a a new entry point to cupboards. And uh, people have liked it. So, Door Before has done well.
0: Yeah. Well, here's a question I have. It feels like you've when you have such a distinct flavor like the, owl, the hundreds of cupboards. Sorry, 100 yeah. cupboards. The
1: hundreds of cupboards.
0: The, hun- the hundreds and thousands. That's how I refer to as them. As Australian. With call the it. honorific the. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then you also got Ashtown. Yeah. Those each had their own flavor. If I had yep. to describe them, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, one's more mythic and one is more, mm, I don't know what the word, steampunk explorer type thing. <laughs> Not steampunk. That's the wrong Yeah, stop slandering my book. <laughs> yeah, that's going to sound insulting. <laughs> um, more, uh, yeah, more Sir John uh, John Smith. When you blend the two, what happened? Which flavor won? okay. So or the, do you think my distinction
1: doesn't make sense? because the dis- I, this, yeah, the distinction's different than that. So think about the story of cupboards at least this is this is how it was working in my head, and this is how I tried to make it work on the page is in the one hundred covered stories, you have Kansas, baseball, barbecues, farmhouse, mm-hmm. and you have you know the, the world that's creaking windmills and weirdness and mystery right yeah you have all those things and then you have the world's through the doors right right and that's kind of how i wanted to present the two series there's one series is an adventure that is designed to be an adventure of kids who do not have traditional heroic powers the smiths Mm -hmm. but they are discovering the wild depths of this world uh, the wild depths of mystery of this world. Wait, Smiths
0: or Smiths? Uh, okay, not then. The, the
1: other is a kid, their cousin, who is discovering after discovering the magic of this world is discovering doors into these more these other worlds. You know, these the the more Narnia launch, mm-hmm. and so there's the the stories of here and the layers of here, and then there's the the stories of uh, of there. And so, um, Ashtown's and here. Yeah cupboards is there yeah okay and so if you, th- if you think of it as like in the narnia chronicles the horse and his boy feels very different right kind of the start and you've got Shasta and mm-hmm. you've got this kid and he's living it's not England but you're you're living in his world and right. here and ex- and he's exploring his world and his world goes nuts right that's the Smiths the Smiths are experiencing their world their own world and the depths of their own world and the layers of mystery and history in their own world. And then you have Henry who disco- discovers that there are layers of, you know, he's discovered that there's layers of mystery and history in his own world and doorways to Narnia. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's, it's two different types of uh, of adventure, mm-hmm. both of which I think cohere in, in one big structure. So in this world, there are doorways and in this world, there are layers of mystery and history. And then I also, Part of the the backstory of Ashtown is this deep suspicion of the occult and magic and of doorways, uh-huh. and so even the doorways are. I, I really wanted that added tension of of stress and suspicion and the resentment of traditional magic and and doorways and portals from this order of Brendan from the order of monks. They're not monks who are faux, you know, faux monks. Actual magicians. These are guys who are deeply suspicious mm-hmm. of all such things. So when they find doorways they yeah. destroy them or lock them up. But Ashdown has a room full of doorways. You know, and those doorways have played into the Ashdown stories. Gotcha. So those doorways and portals are part of that. Henry just happens to have this this backstory that's wandered in and out of our world where the Smiths Gotcha. You know, the Smiths have a lost aunt. So does that make sense?
0: Yeah when i when when i'm editing getting that flavor seems like the first thing you got to do because yeah. otherwise you're editing with edits that don't fit in, yep. in the author's world yeah. and that seemed like well i'm hearing now that it sounds like your editor just skipped <laughs> skipped that step of like you know cuz yeah. you know they didn't need to they just wanted to get on the page but i was wondering because it it felt like the magic of the world out there is such a powerful ingredient yeah that it Takes over the this world magic of Ashtown um,
1: in some it ways. It can, it can, and and uh, you know, there's it absolutely can. But it's also, I think, the flavor of Ashtown is pretty strong.
0: Yeah, because I, I mean, if you're going, if I was going to part the books out, I yeah. would say Door Before reads
1: more like an Ashtown mm-hmm. book. Yeah, it's meant to. Yeah, and uh, but it's it's meant to plot but it, wise. But it lays or, the, uh, it lays the seeds. So door before is meant to read like an Ashtown book and be set in this world, which is why it reads like one. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. It doesn't venture off into right. other worlds. <laughs> it happens in California, right? And I mean, mostly, you don't. You don't get, get like. California.
0: You don't get like magic. The the not, the imbued arrow, the, the Raymoth gilded right. arrow, but you or... don't get
1: that in Cupboards either. Until I build and build and build to it, right? You know, it's like so. If you read book one of Cupboards, mm-hmm. it's you know you're not all the way there you know it's it doesn't get that far and this is a prequel so it's meant to back up even further from that okay okay so i'm not trying to pick up a prequel that that lands with the tone of the end of dandelion fire i'm trying to set a prequel that goes even pre tonally pre kansas pre interesting one under cupboards yeah so which is americans right you know who are connected to the order of brendan and the ashtown World, yeah, functioning in California, and then laying down this seed, yeah, that clearly plants the story of One Undercover and, and everything else,
0: yeah. Okay, well, that's that's fascinating to me. I hope it is to the listeners as well, because tone seems like the thing you can't. Uh, no, I had to pick one. Yeah.
1: It seems I, like the thing I, I you can't one, mess with. You gotta- I picked one that was going to be like, which flavor will this be? And and so, which one's going to be the primary note? And so, which one's going to be the subordinate note that gets planted? Mm-hmm. And which one's going to be the primary note? Mm-hmm. And because I couldn't, you couldn't write a book that alternated Ashtown Cupboards chapters. It would it'd be really difficult. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like, and at least later in the series. You could early, mm-hmm. but it'd be hard later. Right totally and so the uh it it is really interesting and the question I've been asked a lot is were they always the same world and the answer is yes they've always been yeah like the stories have always been boys of blur has always been in it's everything's always been one big thing and meant to cohere but you have diff, it doesn't mean that all of it has to be in everything so Leaf Pike Ridge focuses on caves and you know history and treasure and boys of blur gets into you know the monstrous and the occult and the fountain of youth and swamps and football <laughs> <laughs> and then door before is bouncing around the california coast and outlaws of time is doing something very different yeah but the the thing is that the blood avenger would know what to do in with a father Tiempo. he would know what to do in the outlaws of time story like they they would be able to navigate these different things gotcha so yeah. fun yeah anyway it's well, uh, the, I, the, door, I, the door before is yeah. a, is a tighter smaller Story setting up a family that kind of discovers this house and these picture frames, these doors, these portals, and end up functionally having to like push a child off, like Moses. You have to kind of push a push a daughter out into the world, into the worlds, I should say. Yeah. And then those people who read the coverage trilogy know the long term fruit of that daughter. Yeah, that's great. So in, in saving all the worlds. Yeah. way to go hyacinth way to go
0: (laughs) (laughs) to get your signed copy of the door before order today at canonpress.com